Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. This morning we're going to be in the book of the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 84. Psalm 84. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible and uh, unfamiliar with the book of Psalms, then what you'll do is you'll open your Bible to the middle, and somewhere right about the middle is where the book of Psalms is at. Last week I let uh, the congregation know that we'd be in Psalms this week and that we'd be reading through and preaching out of Psalm 84. I want to give you guys a heads up on where we're going next week. Next week we're starting a new series called The Call. We understand that we are called from something. We are called from being a uh, child of darkness to a child of light. We are called from being enemies of God to being friends of God. But oftentimes we don't understand as Christians what we're being called to. And so we're going to look at that starting next week. We're going to do a six-week series on what a Christian is called to. We understand that Um, that our behavior doesn't earn us a relationship with God or a right standing with God, but we do understand that the way that we are called to live and our behavior can impact our relationship with God. And so next week we're going to look at that, and next week we're actually going to be in the book of Galatians. So Galatians 5, just three verses. If you guys want to read ahead and start meditating on these uh, verses throughout the week, it's going to be Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Galatians 5, 13 through 15, and we'll be there next week starting the call. And we're going to see next week that a Christian is called to a life of freedom. Today we're going to be in Psalm 84. And I I, want to, instead of taking away one point or one thing or just one big thing that you're going to be preaching to yourself this week and remembering over and over and over again, I have two questions that just flow together that I believe this psalm addresses. And that's this. What is my longing and where is my confidence? So those two questions. What is my longing and where is my confidence? Psalm 84, well, first, all the Psalms, all 150 of them, are are this tremendous gift that we have in the middle of our Bibles. Because what the Psalms are is they are a book of prayers, and they are a book of hymns. In fact, some churches actually just strictly sing through the Psalms. And and, and in fact, a lot of the Psalms, including what we just sang, Better's One Day in Your Courts, uh, uh, many of the songs we sing are shaped from the Psalms that we have in our Bibles. In fact, the one that Mark uh, and Megan just played comes from this psalm today, Psalm 84. So we have this tremendous gift because if we're ever wondering how to pray or what prayer looks like, we have this entire book in our Bible with 150 psalms that actually teach us how to pray. There are psalms of praise. There are psalms of lament when we're at a bad spot in life. There are, there are songs, uh, psalms of, of uh, um, hardship like I just said, like lamenting and, and, and those types of things. There are wisdom psalms. There are different types of psalms, but there are different uh, prayers and psalms that teach us how and, and can shape our, our, our prayer lives, teach us how to pray. This morning, we're going to be looking at this. What does it look like to long for God, and what does it look like to place our confidence in Him? So let's dive in and start with verse 1. Title to this is to the choir master according to the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. <clears throat> Some believe this psalm was written by someone living around the time of the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign. 
because what happened is the king of Assyria, we see this in 2 Kings, actually came over and took over Jerusalem and took over a lot of the fortified cities. And so now we have this psalmist writing, and he's longing to be back in Jerusalem. He's longing to be back in his home. He's longing to be back in the dwelling place of God. But others believe, because of language looking so much like Psalm 63, that it was actually written by David. And so either way, they have the same goal in mind. What, this, what, what the psalmist is wanting here, what the psalmist is desiring here, what the psalmist is looking for here is they are looking and desiring and wanting God's presence, God's dwelling place, and to be with God. I've never been a soldier. I've never been deployed. I've never been overseas. But maybe one way that we can understand if you're in this room today and, and whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, and, and maybe you're a Christian, you would wonder why do people long to be in the presence of God? Why do people long for that? I think maybe thinking through the lens of, of a soldier or someone who has been deployed might be helpful. And here's what I mean. Is if you've been overseas before, from everything that I've ever heard, people say there's something sweet about touching down on U.S. soil. And in a sense, it's like being back at home and you've longed to be back at home. But say you are from Eugene, Oregon. At that point, say you touched down somewhere else, you are still longing to be at home and to be even closer to home. And so you take your next flight and then you get into Oregon. And maybe you're in Portland and so now you're so much more uh, close to home and, and you have these greater longings and the environment changes and everything changes and it's starting to look more familiar. But then even in Portland, you're still not quite home because Eugene is home. And then you take your next flight into Eugene, and then all of a sudden you're home. You see the things that you've seen your whole life, the things you've grown up with, the smells, the environment, even the people, and you have that longing in what is to be home. In, in, in no way am I saying that the U.S. is synonymous for Christianity or is the dwelling place of God, but what I am trying to say is, is that maybe this gives us a framework to understand that, uh, of where the psalmist is coming from. There's this longing to be in the presence of God. In fact, this almost starts off, in a lot of ways, like a love poem. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And then he goes on to verse 2. I love this. Love this. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The word faints right there actually can be translated consumed or finished. So saying, my soul longs, yes, it, it, it's, it's finished, it's consumed for the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Notice, there is no small talk in this psalm. And there is no oftentimes small talk in our Bibles. We, we, we live in a culture that there is so much small talk going on. And so we ask one another how we're doing, and it is our normal response to respond with, how are you? And we all say, good. Can you imagine this? The psalmist here dives in and he's longing for the dwelling place of God and then he says, my soul longs. Can you imagine pulling into a, a, a Dutch bros or a coffee shop and someone says, how are you doing? And your response is, my soul longs, yes, faints for the, Lord of the, court, or for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. That's his greatest desire. They would never ask you how you're doing ever again. But imagine that that, that, that there's not this trite response just to go, I'm good, when really we're not. Or just to give something that sounds good because we care more about our appearance before people. The psalmist is like, no, I can't do that right now. This is where I'm at. My, my soul is longing 
to be back in Jerusalem. And, and here's the thing, if, if the psalmist was removed, if it was David and it's when Absalom ran him out of town, or, or if it is another psalmist, and, and he's been uh, uh, pushed out of Jerusalem, and he's been pushed away from the temple, then he's longing to be back at the temple. He's longing to be back in Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was, and the temple was, the dwelling place of God. And so he's saying, that's what I long for. Honestly, yesterday, I understood this. Maybe better than, a long, than in a long time, because uh, our family went over to... Uh, uh, Caldera, which is over by Sun River for the past couple days to, uh, to hang out with uh, the Rexy's family, which is where Caleb and his family still at. And so uh, we, we got to go there a night early and just stay the night and, and part of the day with our own family. And our youngest uh, decided both nights that she wasn't going to sleep. And we, we all slept in, in the same room. And so she, she cried for most of the night just on and off, right? And anyone who has kids knows that Nothing, un, nothing godly comes out of your mouth in the middle of the night when you're low on sleep. It just doesn't. And so yesterday they were asking us, when are you guys planning on getting back? And I'm like, I want to go now. Like, I want to go home. Because <laughs> this is two nights of this. And so I was like, I'm ready to go. We're in the pool. And I was, I, I'm, I'm trying to just get going to get home. And so we get out of the pool and, and we finally get in. Uh, everything packed up when we get in, in, into the car. And honestly... My heart was just longing to be back home. Some of you guys know this feeling. I wanted to be home. wanted to be in our sanctuary. I wanted to be in my bed. Many of us know what that feeling feels like, and that's what I wanted. And so I couldn't get home fast enough, right? And, and, and my wife and I are like, yes, the kids are exhausted. When they get in the car, they're going to sleep the whole way home. Not a second did, did our kids sleep. And we're about 20 minutes into our drive, and I look over at my wife. And I'm like, I can't make it. I'm so tired right now. I'm exhausted. I'm just not going to be able to make it, so I'm pulling over into this coffee stand to get a coffee. And what happens? She says, how are you today? And what do I say? I'm good. So good. I'm good. Just alive. Everything in me was exhausted. Every part of me longed to be home and to get home. But I said, I'm doing good. Our kids are in the back seat, and they're like, can we get Italian sodas? I'm like, no. Italian sodas are for good kids. <laughs> our, our oldest is all about this. What about grace? I'm like, right now you need grace from God because dad's grace has run out. I didn't really say that. I didn't say that, just so you guys know. But this is what they're saying. I literally asked for a drink. Just a side note, I said, hey, I need a coffee. And then do you guys have dark or espresso beans? And she was like, yes. I was like, I just need you to throw some of those in there with them and just blend all that up. That's where I was at. And then so I was like, I just need to get home. And then so... The rest of the trip home was just this constant nagging and, and, and constant uh, frustration. And so like there was this longing to get home and to be home and to be in our place, in our house, in our place of safety. That's where he's, in a sense, starts off, but his longing is not to just get to a place absent from God. His longing is to get not just to a temple, but actually into God's presence. Verse 3, he says, "...even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself." where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. See, in verse 3, 
the psalmist can even remember what it was like to be at the temple because he probably remembers looking up in the rafters and seeing a sparrow up there, a swallow up there, and, and now he's reflecting from what he doesn't have anymore. Maybe at one point what he took for granted, and he was like, I would do anything just to be that swallow, just to be that sparrow up in the rafters of the temple of God and just to dwell there. That's where I would like to be. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. You know, we have a great and tremendous gift with where we live in our country to come and worship freely, to come and gather and sing freely. And I don't know if you ever close your, song or close your eyes during a time of worship, during a time of singing, and just listen to the saints sing, but oftentimes I'll do that. It's just a beautiful thing because we actually get to sing out and sing praise like he's longing to do here into the presence of God. We get to sing out and sing, uh, and sing songs and sing hymns to God, and that's a tremendous gift that we can oftentimes take for granted. But if we lost it, and we no longer had that, and we were no longer able to do that like a lot of countries are, it's something that we might long for, to be back together with the family of God, to be back together with the church. Why? Because the church is a collective body of people. In fact, when we're by ourselves, we might make up a hand or an arm or a leg, but when the church, the body of Christ comes together, then we have a more uh, a, a, a perfect picture or, or a more accurate picture, I should say, of what the body of Christ is. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. What does that mean? We said at first, what, what am I longing? What is my longing and where is my confidence? What he's saying is blessed are those whose strength, whose confidence is in you, Yahweh, and whose heart are the highways to Zion. What was Zion? The people of God. The dwelling place of God. The the the, 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 the holy city, Jerusalem, where the temple was at. It was Zion. It was the place where God dwelt among mankind. And he was saying that the highways of my heart lead to that. Here's the, here's the reality, is that we, we all have these highways in our hearts. And I would say that our highways and our hearts are leading somewhere. And oftentimes these highways have deep ruts because we've traveled these highways so many times. And we've tried getting on this highway that goes here, this highway that goes there. And I would just give four highways right now that, that, that we commonly travel and where our hearts commonly take us. And the reason our hearts take us here is because when we are weak and we, when we are in need, then the place that we're looking for confidence and the place we're looking for strength is oftentimes not into God and to his dwelling place, but it's actually in and of ourselves. And so there's the highway of approval. And I take this highway because I need to feel loved, accepted, and wanted. This helps me feel strong. Maybe it's from a family member. Maybe it's from parents. There's the highway of control. I take this highway because if I can gain control over relationships and over circumstances in my life, then I feel strong. There's the highway of comfort. I take this highway because, quite honestly, I don't know how to feel strong unless... Everything in my life feels comfortable. And if there's anything making me uncomfortable, then I need to fix that, and that's where I find my strength from. Last, there's the highway of power. I take this highway because I feel that unless I have the upper hand, I am weak and people won't respect me. And so here the psalmist is saying, blessed are those whose strength, whose confidence is in you, and whose heart are the highways of Zion. In other words, 
your heart is going to lead you somewhere. And what I'm going to say this morning is this, is unless your heart leads you to Zion, and unless your heart leads you to the Creator, the highways of your heart are going to constantly lead you to a dead end. But yet we continue to take those same highways and get in those same ruts and lead to the same dead ends over and over and over again, expecting a different outcome. What he's saying here is unless these highways are leading us to Zion, then we will not have strength. Verse 6. As they walk through the valley of Baca, Baca means uh, uh, weeping or grieving. So as they go through the valley of weeping and grieving, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So he's saying, look, look at what the psalmist is not saying. He's not saying as they stay in the valley of Baca. As they stop in the valley of Baca. He's saying as they go through, as the people of God go through this valley of weeping and grieving, they actually make it a place of springs and of lush living land. Is, is, is that interesting? Why would he say that? It's not trivial. It's not trite. It, it's, it, it, it's not spiritual platitudes. What, what he's simply saying is this, is if your longing is to get God and your confidence is in God, then your circumstances in life, the valley that you find yourself in, actually don't define you. Your confidence is not the valley that you are in. Your confidence is that you're on a highway in, uh, uh, see seeking the presence of God, seeking your strength from God. And so as you go on this highway and through, then you pass through these valleys. And in fact, the valleys and dark seasons of life aren't in this text impacting you. In fact, you are impacting them. And he says that they go on from strength to strength. It's not two different words here. It's from strength to strength in verse 7. Until what? Until each one appears before God in Zion. And I know there's many people in our church that are going through rough seasons, difficult seasons, trying seasons, challenging seasons. And I believe God's Word and ultimately God who came in flesh through Jesus Christ and meets us in the midst of these valleys that feel like Baca, that feel like grieving, that feel like weeping. And His promise is not this, and this is what we have to understand. His promise is not to avoid a valley or to go around a valley. His promise is that I will walk with you through the midst of a valley. And through that, you will find what strength is because the valley or the place of the mountaintop is that my presence is there in the midst of it all. Our problem is, is that we feel when our emotions tell us that God is absent, we believe our emotions instead of being suspicious to our emotions and trusting what God's word says. That he'll never leave us or forsake us. Verse 8. <clears throat> he has this trail off moment right here in verse 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Say law. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. What is he doing here? In the midst of longing for the temple, for longing for God's presence, what is he doing? He pauses to remember, oh yes, I'm not there. And our people are not there. And what our people ultimately need is they need the presence of God. And so he pauses in, in, in the midst of this psalm where he's longing for the presence of God to pray for the people of God, to pray for the nation of Israel, to pray for them, and for God to look on the face of his anointed. And quite honestly, I think 
that many times what we forget to do is that we forget to pray for our nation, that we forget to pray for our leaders, that we forget to pray for people. And this is what he's doing in the midst of the psalm. He pauses and prays. And then he goes on in verse 10, right back with where he was. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Someone should write a song about that. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, he says. What's this mean? He's saying that more than a vacation home, more than on vacation, more than anywhere else in the world, a tropical place for the Oregonian probably sounds very, very nice, especially with weather like we've had yesterday and today. He was saying there's no place that I would rather be in the entire world than in the presence of the living God, period. And he goes on to say that I would rather be a doorkeeper. In other words, I would rather be a beggar in the house of God than be rich but live outside of his presence. I hope to some degree that that the people that are sitting in this room that would identify themselves as as a Christian would start to say, man, I'm, I'm longing for the presence of God or I need the presence of God or I have that longing within me. And in fact, Tim Keller would say, noticing an absence of God's presence is a good indicator of his presence in your life. So noticing an absence of God's presence in your life is, is, is a good uh, indicator of his actual presence there. Because for the child of God, I believe there needs to be a theme in your life of some longing that you have for the presence of God, to dwell with God, to be with God, to know God more. And I would say if that's never there, and you never have a desire to get more of God, to dwell with God, to be in God's presence, and, and, and even like the psalmist to say, better, I'd rather be a beggar but be with you. I'd rather be in your presence than anywhere else in the world. I believe that should be a theme in the Christian's heart and life throughout our life. I will say this. The last night before preaching on this text, this is just not where I was at, and that's not where my week's been. I've longed for sleep, and I've longed for other things a lot more than I've longed for God. And I'm like, man, I feel like a hypocrite going in to preach this text. And so I would say, that, so please hear me say that for many of us, we came in here this morning longing for other things far more than the presence of God, longing for other things far more than God, finding our confidence far more than we were seeking it in God. But I think for the child of God, you want to and you long to be like, man, I know that. I felt that. I felt his experience. And I have a desire to get back there and to behold the beauty of God. And I think that we should agree with the psalmist and say, that's where my, des- that, 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 that's where my heart's desire is to be. He goes on to verse 11. He's wrapping this up. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. So what is he? He's, he's the source of life. And, and, he's, and he's our protector. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Did you know that for the psalmist that his source of life is God? And his protection is God. So in other words, his longing is God and his confidence is in God. And he's saying this. Why all of this? Longing, why all of this desire to be back in Zion, to be at the temple, to be on the dwelling place of God? Why? Because for the psalmist, God is everything. Everything. He's not some things, he's everything. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He doesn't seek his protection from controlling outcomes. He doesn't seek his protection from finding people to like him. 
He doesn't seek protection in his circumstances in life. He seeks protection in life in the Lord his God. And then he says this, the Lord bestows favor and honor, which actually translates grace and glory. So for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows, he gives, he grants grace and glory. That's good news. The Lord God grants grace, which is an unmerited favor, not something that's earned. I recently heard a parent say that their kid did something bad and they let them keep their ice cream. That's not grace, that's mercy. That's beautiful. Mercy is beautiful. They got to keep their ice cream. Grace is throwing another scoop on top. It's something that they don't earn. It's something that you don't deserve. It's more. It's this lavish gift that keeps coming. And he's saying the Lord our God bestows, He grants, He pours out all this grace and glory. It sounds really hard to say that, the God, that God Himself, all glorious, pours out glory. What does that mean? We'll get there in a minute. But then he says this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Uh Uh-oh. Uprightly translates this way. Blameless, complete, without blemish, perfect, without fault or error. So look, the Lord God pours all this out. He gives it. The Lord bestows grace and glory. The only thing is, is no good thing does God withhold from those who walk in a completely upright, blameless, without blemish, life of perfection and without error. So good news for all of us, right? As long as we are upright, blameless, holy, perfect, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, then God pours out everything that is good. We We have to read that and go, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Because the reality is, is I, as the foremost, but for all of us in this room, is no one is utterly blameless without blemish and perfect. In fact, the reason that the temple was such a big deal is this, is in the beginning of our Bible, we, we, we have this Genesis account of creation, and God creates mankind to have a relationship with. And then we get to Genesis Three, and then mankind falls away from God because they say, God, you're, you're not enough and I believe you're withholding from me and so I'm going to find something else. And so what does God do? God drives them out of the garden. Why? For, his, for their own protection. And it says this in Genesis 3.24. So he drove the man out and at the east end of the garden of Eden, he stationed uh, the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So he cast them out. Why? Because you cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God without being killed. We see this throughout our Bibles. As we fast forward, the stories of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2, they are struck dead for trying to walk into the presence of of a holy God. We see this in Isaiah. Isaiah sits before the throne room of God and he's beholding God. And what does he say? He said, woe is me for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, a Lord of hosts. And so anyone who tries to go into the dwelling place, into God's holy presence, is either struck dead or they're struck with this awe of, I am really, really unclean. No one marches right in and goes, I'm pretty good. I've lived a pretty good life. I've done some pretty good things. Anyone who's going into the presence of God is either struck dead or they're in complete and total awe of God's holiness. And so the temple back then was this place 
that had layers. So you had outer courts for the Gentiles, and then you had inner courts for, uh, for the women, and then you had courts inside of that for Jewish men, and then you had courts inside of that for priests. And then you had the, inter, uh, the most holy place where only priests could enter. And so uh, there was this veil, this curtain that protected that to, to, to where you could not go in there unless you were a priest who's gone through the customs of what needs to happen for you to enter. And so this psalmist here this entire time is saying that I'm longing to just be back even if it's sitting outside of the courts of God. I'm just longing for His presence. And then he's reminded that God bestows favor, grace, and honor on those who walk uprightly. But then he ends with verse 12. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Trust can translate into confidence. Blessed is the one whose confidence is in you. So in other words, God pours out grace and He pours out glory. He doesn't withhold anything. How do we get it? Verse 12 tells us. It's this simple. Blessed is the one who trusts in you, whose confidence is in you. You know the message of Christianity is not self-confidence, but yet it's the message that is driven by our culture to be self-confident. I tried to be self-confident for the first 23 years of my life and it did not lead to self-confidence. In fact, the confidence that's that the psalmist is talking about is an abandonment from self-confidence and and a confidence that's placed wholly and completely in Christ. Say for the past 13 years, I've been walking through, in a sense, a retraining of mind and heart of what it is to have a confidence that doesn't lie in myself, but actually lies in Christ. My first 23 years, I put my confidence in trying to constantly measure up to please people. And that doesn't lead to self-confidence. The confidence that we have inside of Christ is that he's measured up for us on our behalf. And simply this, as Saul says in Romans, Paul, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Please pay close attention here because this is what the, psalm, what the psalmist is saying. And are justified by His grace as a gift. Notice, you are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption, through the blood that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, he says. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. Then he goes on to say in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him uh, graciously give us all things? And then the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's the, the, the innermost holy place, by the what? By the blood of Jesus. That's it. By the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So what's, what's all this mean? That many people walked in here this morning longing for something. And maybe it was you longing to get out of the season of life. And maybe it's you're longing to get through the valley of, of Baca that you feel like you're in. Maybe it, 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 it's, it's a longing for something, but it's not a longing for God. 
And many people walked in here with a confidence this morning. They have a confidence in, in a promotion they're going to get. They have a confidence in graduating school. They have a confidence in their kids getting diplomas. They have confidence in something. And the psalmist is saying this, that my ultimate longing is for God and for his presence. Not to get healing, not to get a miracle, not to get out of the situation or circumstance in life. My actual ultimate longing is for God and for his presence. And my confidence is in this. It's also in God. But more specifically here, this is about salvation. And here's what I mean. And I'm closing up. If you can't trust God to take care of your ultimate problem in life, then you'll never trust God to take care of your smaller problems in life. But if you can trust that God has dealt with your greatest problem, you can trust that God is dealing with the smaller problems of your life. And I'm trying to make your problem small, but just to be honest and, and, as, <laughs> and as humble as I can, I am in some sense because whatever you're going through in life is not as big as a problem as your separation from God. And from your need to be with him and to be in his presence. And this is what the psalmist is longing for. And so what the psalmist is saying and what we're getting at and what we know and understand because we live on this side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. Is if you know with confidence that by God's grace he has saved you and through faith in Jesus Christ you've been purchased, then you know this, that you run confidently into the presence of God anytime you want. When your life is in turbulence, when you're angry, when you're hostile, when your kids are screaming at the backseat that they want Italian sodas, whatever you're going through in life, you understand this, that the presence of God is made available to you through the blood and through the flesh and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you're washing dishes, men, if you're helping out around the house, if your kids are screaming, whatever you're doing, the, the, the presence of God is made available through Jesus Christ in any moment that you are in, in a crisis or when you're on your knees. And here's the thing. We have extreme confidence as long as things in our life are great. But do you have confidence that when you've turned your life into a mess, when you've chased pornography, when you've chased addictions, when you've chased everything else in life, do you have a confidence in that moment in yourself or that your trust is in Jesus Christ and in his perfection that you can run into the presence of God. Because that's the difference. Either you have a self-confidence in you or you have a confidence in Christ that Christ has dealt with our greatest need and that's that we can't overcome our sin and get into the presence of God by ourselves. But if we have a confidence that Christ provides that and that he's done that, then here's what we can do. We can trust that whatever we're going through in life right now, that if God didn't hold back his son and in fact crushed him and allowed him to be crushed, you know the extent that God's willing to go. Look at the cross. And if we can look at the cross and say, wow, God was willing to go that far to bring me into his family, then we can trust God that he's working whatever is going on in our lives for our good and for his glory. Amen? Let's pray.